know what these are. To-go boxes. Anybody ever used a to-go box? Now, if you have to make a choice, would you rather be the one at the restaurant getting the to-go box or the one at home getting the leftovers? Home. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Was that Mark Cargill who said that? Yes. I've seen you at a restaurant, buddy. In Haiti, even. In Haiti, we weren't supposed to eat. What does Mark do? He ordered. Got to be careful speaking up when you answer the pastor. So I read this, this story about a coach who uh, every day during football season, he would go to meetings before, ch- uh, before church started, before school started, and they would go to breakfast. And so they would kind of plan out stuff that was going on. And at the end of the meal, he would get a to-go box. Now, he usually packed his own lunch, but the coaches met for lunch because in football season, you are consumed with football. It's all that matters. And he would eat his lunch that he'd brought from home so he could save a little bit of money, but he would still have a to-go box that he would take home later. After practice, many times the head coach would say, we need to to strategize for this week because you only have seven days, you know, in between opponents. And so they would go out to eat and they would strategize. He would get another to-go box and then he would come home completely exhausted. He's got little kids, three little kids and a wife. And he would come home and the kids were just so excited to see him and his wife was so excited to see him. And he would hand each of them a to-go box of leftovers. And he'd say, that's all I got. And he would go and he would go to bed. And so his wife told him one day, she actually collected some boxes like this. And she said, every time you come home, you give me the leftovers of your day. And she said, I'm adult. I can, I can handle that. But what really makes me upset is that you give our children the leftovers of your day and our children are suffering. And so, you know, when I read that story, I thought about my life and I thought about when I've given Janie leftovers. That's not what she wants. That's not what she signed up for. It's not what I stood in front of God and promised to to do for her, not to give her leftovers. It's to make her the highest earthly priority. God's number one, Janie's number two. And then when we had children, I realized what the effect would have on them when I gave them leftovers. And then I started thinking about all this and I started thinking about what happens in our spiritual lives when we give God the leftovers. See, we started this new series called Fully Devoted, and we're trying to figure out what it is that, that represents a fully devoted follower of Christ. And we've come up with five things. Joe talked about two of them last week. Grace and growth. And grace is where you accept, where God accepts you just like you are, warts and all. And then as Christ followers, we're supposed to accept everyone else just like they are warts and all. And then then we said, once you, uh, I loved what he said. He said, grace is moving you from the coach class to first class, but it doesn't necessarily take you anywhere. Yes, you're in the kingdom of God, but it doesn't get you spiritually mature. You have to make some choices where to go on this journey called Christian life to to become mature. So what what we're wanting you to do is examine your life. Have you accepted Christ? Are you in the kingdom of God? At the end, we're going to baptize two people. And by the way, if you want to be baptized today, it's cool. Well, you just think about that. If God puts it on your heart, you can come on up here. But both of these people have asked Christ to be the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life. So step one, they've accepted grace. Now, what we're challenging our church to do is then move on to step two, which is spiritual growth. You don't grow by accident. It's a choice. And then I've got a couple of more things that I'm going to talk to you about today on this journey towards growth. And and if you've figured it out, it's all G's. Grace, growth, groups, gifts, and good stewardship. We're only going to talk about two today. Now, what happens in churches, when people get disillusioned with churches, usually what's happened is they have started giving God the leftovers of their life. We'll talk about that. Now, I want you to see this verse. Psalm 133.1 says this. 
How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Now, relationships have this amazing potential to transform our lives for better or for worse, for good or for bad, right? One uh, psychologist said this, it takes people to make people sick. It takes people to make people well. Think about that. When you get well, and then really, if you go all the way back to when Jesus walked on the earth, whenever God's spirit moved in a powerful way, it always started with a group of believers gathered together, radically believing that Jesus Christ was who he said he was, that he did what he said he did, that he came back from the grave, and that the same power that raised him from the dead is available to us. Started with Jesus' followers, and when God does something major today, it always starts in a group. Now, there are two things that we've got to have in a group if we're going to grow spiritually. One is grace and one is truth. Talked about grace last week. Joe talked about that. Grace reflects Christ's forgiving nature. And, and we know that Jesus poured out a lot of grace, but he also spoke truth. How could he not speak truth? Because in John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he has to speak the truth. He couldn't do anything else. He can't lie. And, and here's the other thing. Truth is not a concept. Truth is a person named Jesus Christ, and you cannot possibly know the truth of your situation until you've heard from God, until you've heard from Jesus. So a lot of people think, oh, well, this is what I'm supposed to do in my life, but they've never consulted God's word. They've never prayed about it. They've never consulted mature Christians and asked them what they think about it. When you do that, you're more likely to hear from God. And, and Christ's truth, it gives us direction as we walk down the path of life, but it also provides little guardrails that keep us from falling off the sides. People a lot of times think that, that the word of God is narrow-minded, that Jesus was narrow-minded. And I think about it like this. Is it narrow-minded for a 747 to land on a runway? Is that narrow-minded? Because to me, it makes a lot of sense. I don't want the 747 that I'm on to land on I-45 at any time, Right? So people say, well, it's narrow-minded to follow this Christ. No, I think it's the way we were created, and we only get purpose and meaning in life when we follow Jesus Christ, the one who wrote the manual to tell us how to live. And God's truth judges us, and I think that's why a lot of people don't like the word of God, because it penetrates, and you can't hide when when you open up the word of truth. Hebrews 4.12 says this, God's word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword and cuts as deep as the place where soul and spirit meet, the place where joints and marrow meet. God's word judges a person's thoughts and intentions. So we got to have both. We've got to have grace and truth. Now, what happens in a church is people tend to be on one side or the other. On one end of the spectrum is the gracious truth avoider. Some of you would rather, my wife is one of these, would rather throw up than confront somebody. And so you're a very gracious person. You're a very loving person to the point that you ignore sin in someone's life and you say, oh, it's okay, regardless of the consequences of whatever's going on in their lives. But you're missing the truth. And and you're probably thought of as a very nice person. You probably think of yourself as a very nice person, but you're quite literally missing the truth. At the other end of the spectrum is what I call the graceless truth inflictor. You ever met one of those? Usually they're religious, very religious people. And and to their credit, they take religion, they take following Christ seriously. They take sin seriously, but they take it so seriously that there's no grace involved and they kind of beat people over the head with the Bible. You ever met any of those? Do you want to do what they suggest you do? That was a yes or no question. No, thank you. In standing up for what is right, 
they completely drown out their own voices because they don't have any grace. So what we need is grace and truth. The relationships that have the greatest impact on anybody's life are those where grace and truth are, flow freely. Because when, when you pour out grace on me, I'm, I'm free to open up, to take off the mask and quit pretending that I've got it all together. Because I'm just curious, anybody in this room have it all together? Let me see your hands, please. And please keep them up so that we can all meet you and we can, can begin to follow you and learn from you. No one? Okay. I don't have it all together. And when, when there's grace, that means I don't have to pretend that I'm spiritually mature. I can say I'm struggling here. And I've got a few friends that I can do that with. And I pray to God that you have a few friends that you can do that with as well. When grace is there, you can be yourself. But we also need truth because there's times that you need somebody to say to you, what you're doing is wrong. I love you and I'm going to love you till the end, but you're doing something wrong. You're going down a wrong path and I have to warn you. You know, it'd be like if a bridge was out and you knew the bridge was out and you just watched people fall off the bridge. What does that say about you? We've got to have enough truth to say, whoa, 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 what you're doing is destructive. I love you, but you're going to destroy your life. So think about Jesus. He did this. When he caught the woman, when the woman was caught in adultery, he was brought to Jesus. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Jesus gave grace and truth to this woman. He said, where are your accusers? And she said, there are none. And he said, neither do I accuse you, neither do I condemn you. But then he said, go and sin no more. He said, what you did was sinful. Grace and truth to her. Now he gave truth to all those guys who wanted to stone her because they didn't give a rip about this woman. They wanted to kill her and they wanted to trap Jesus. And Jesus said, the one who has no sin, throw that first stone. The Bible says that one by one, the older ones left and then the younger ones, when he looks up, nobody's around. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. Think about the rich young ruler when he came to Jesus. He said to Jesus, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, follow the commandments. And he said, I've done all of that since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and he said, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor and come follow me. The Bible says that the rich man went away sad because he was very rich. Now, Jesus is probably not going to ask all of us in here to give everything we have financially. I don't know if any of us in here would be considered rich. But this guy, the one thing standing in between him and God was his finances. And I believe he busted open the gates of hell when he died and he made a mistake and he wishes he could come back and to give up all of that money to follow Jesus. Jesus gave him truth. It's what he needed. Now, I want you to see a, a situation where Jesus gives the religious leaders some truth. Mark 7, 5 through 9. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law ask him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. I, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I wish I could have been there because Jesus replied, you hypocrite. Now this is, this is serious. If Jesus looks at you and calls you a hypocrite, that's, that's a big deal. Then he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God for you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Man, this is heavy. And it's not something that I want God to say about me. I never want God to say, Doug, your, your worship is a farce. Your words honor me, but your life doesn't honor me. Last night, our, our, uh, before I got hurt and officially ended my softball career this season, um, we had a devotional at our softball uh, thing. And the guy's devotional was, if you say you believe in Jesus, you should act like Jesus. Your, your actions should follow Jesus. And, and that's, that's exactly what 1 John 2, 6 says. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. 
You see, what God uses more than any other situation to to help you is a motley group of sin-stained believers to help you become more like Jesus Christ. And this is a risky strategy because it means that you and I have to be wise when it comes to addressing problems. And anytime you expect people, human beings, to be wise, that's a gamble, right? Look on YouTube. There's not a lot of wisdom on YouTube. So the Bible is telling us that, that, he, that we're supposed to be in groups, that in groups that have grace and truth, then, then we can grow. And Jesus Christ himself showed grace and truth. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to show both grace and truth. Now, let me give you just a couple of verses. Because this could start with just two people, but it could ignite a church if we learn how to give grace and truth. Now, if you're on the graceless truth inflictor side, here's a couple of verses for you. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Kind and compassionate if you're a truth inflictor. Here's another one, Luke 6.41.42, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. This is Jesus again. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So if you're a truth inflictor, you need grace. In fact, I think that's why God very often um, attaches us. We, we're attracted to and we marry people that are opposite of us. I was talking to a young couple yesterday. I'm doing their wedding in just a couple of weeks. And, and I said, all of those things you think are so cute when you're dating, those opposite things that are so cute, when you get into marriage, they're not so cute anymore because they're with you 24-7. Right, baby? She's in here today. But, but there's a guy who wrote a book years ago. It's a funny title, but it's true. It says opposites attract, and then they marked out the word attract, and, and they wrote attack. <laughs> so if you're one of those that, that is a grace inflictor, you, God probably put you together with someone that is a uh, grace avoider or a, a truth avoider. They're filled with grace, but they don't have a lot of truth, and, and God wants to balance you out. And I honestly think that after 24 years, Janie and I will be tw- married 24 years, May 25th, I think that I'm more gracious and she has a little bit more truth because we're influencing one another. That's the way God intended it. Now, if you're the truth avoider, here's a couple of verses for you. Luke 17, 3. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. So rebuking someone is actually scriptural if you do it the right way. 2 Timothy 4.2 says this, preach the word of God, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your, your people with good teaching. So we need both. We need grace and truth. And I want you to get in, if you, if you hadn't figured this out, you need to get in a group. Now we are going to have just two more small group meetings and then my group is going to meet once a month this summer. And I think Joe's is talking about that and, and the Verettos there's is talking about that as well. And we're going to do just some fun stuff and then we'll kick off the small groups again in the fall. But you need a group. You will not be who God wants you to be outside of a group. You need somebody who will give grace and truth to you. So that's the, that's the third marker. And, and, and as we're doing this, next week we're actually going to have a little chart and you're going to go through and you're going to rank yourself. So the first thing is grace. That's a yes or no. Either you're in the kingdom of God or not. Either you're married or you're not. I was there. May 25th, 1991, and I I pledged to God, I pledged to my wife that I would be married to her. This ring symbolizes that. I'm not kind of married. I was there. My parents were there. My brother was the pastor. There was a day that we committed to one another. 
you're either in the kingdom of God or you're not. You're not kind of a Christian or you haven't always been a Christian. That is not scriptural. There has to be a definite time that you step into the kingdom of God. That's when you accepted the grace of God. You ask him to forgive your sins and lead your life. Second thing is you need to take a step towards growth. If all you do is come on Sunday mornings, I got news for you. You're not going to grow very much spiritually. You need more than just Sunday mornings. You need more than corporate worship. You need private worship. You need Bible study. You need people in your life for you to grow. Third thing is uh, groups. You need to be committed to a small group. God's going to use a small group to help you grow. And then the fourth thing we're looking at right now is spiritual gifts. Now, I read this story and I thought this illustrated it very well, so I want to share this with you. One of my favorite preachers, I heard him share this story at a conference about 15, 20 years ago, and then I read it in one of his books. Uh, John Ortberg is the guy who wrote this. He said, many years ago, my grandfather phoned my mother and offered her some dishes. My grandmother had recently died, and he found a box full of old blue dishes in the attic. He was going to give them to the Salvation Army until he remembered that my mother liked the color blue, so he thought he'd see if she had a use for them. So my mother went into the attic, expecting junk, and found instead beautiful handcrafted china with a forget-me-not pattern, 24-carat gold trim, and inlaid with mother-of-pearl cups. They had uh, been made in a factory in Bavaria that was destroyed in World War II, so they were literally irreplaceable dishes. And my mom had never seen them until after her mom had died, and she's in the attic. Over the next few months, she and my father pieced together the story. My grandmother had received a dish here or a cup there growing up. They were so valuable that she put them in a box and waited for an occasion special enough to warrant using them, And no occasion special enough ever came up. The gift never made it out of the box. And and this really resonates with me because I was 48. I'm 50 now. I was 48 when mom and dad died and my sister died. Mom had this little hutch outside of the room that I, I grew up in. And in it was some china. 48 years. I never remember ever pulling the china out and using it. It was so special that, it, that an occasion special enough to use it never came. And then I think some, one of the grandkids purchased it in the, in the estate sale. But, but you, you, to me, I think that is such a waste that we never used the gifts that mom was given. And that's just like spiritual gifts. Every Christian has at least one. Gifts are given to you by God. You don't get decide which, to decide which spiritual gifts you're given. Gifts are given by God to build up his kingdom. And when you have a spiritual gift, your brothers and sisters in Christ recognize that gift and they confirm that gift in you. So if you are teaching and no one has ever said they've learned anything, if you teach for 10 years and nobody ever comes to you and says, God used you to speak to me, you probably don't have the gift of teaching. And we talk about this all the time. If you've ever been in a Sunday school class where somebody's teaching who doesn't have the gift of teaching, you're going, dear God, help them shut up. I'm praying again. I've been there. I'm praying against them. I'm, I'm looking at my watch going, Lord, help me. Because they're going to kill this class, and they do. So you have a gift, and you're supposed to discover it. And if you don't know what that gift is or you're not using that gift, does it benefit the kingdom of God? The answer is no. Thank you for playing. Paul tells us the purpose of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. According to this verse, how many Christ followers have at least one spiritual gift? Each one. Thank you. One person was playing. That means you are a specialist in some area and whatever it is that God created you to do, you should be doing in the church. 
God is calling you to be a minister. And, and that's, that's why we don't believe that you have to have someone pray for you. The Bible says we're a kingdom of priests. You're all ministers. And you are a 10 in some area. And you should be using that to glorify God. When you don't know or don't use your spiritual gifts, you're actually hurting two people. You're stunting the spiritual growth of two people. You and the person sitting next to you. The kingdom of God is not built up. If you're not serving, you're not growing, and the person that you're supposed to be serving is not growing either. In John 13, Jesus wanted to teach his disciples about servanthood. They were gathered for the Passover meal, and they, as they waited, everyone knew, just like anybody in that, that uh, culture would have known, that somebody should be washing their feet. This is the night before Jesus is crucified. They're all just waiting. And see, you remember that the disciples, they argued over who was greatest. They never argued over who was last. And everybody sitting around the table at the Passover meal knew the least person, the last person on the social, cal- uh, on the social ladder was the one who washed feet. And so they weren't about to get up and wash feet. And what did Jesus do? He got up, put a towel around his, feet, his waist, and went and he washed off those mud-caked feet. And see, I think you and I can relate to this because you and I, none of us in here would claim that we're the greatest in the kingdom of God, but we sure don't want to be last, right? Anyone? Somewhere in the middle. I'll be okay with that. So they sat there until Jesus showed them. And and what Jesus did was he forever redefined greatness. When the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who created all things, the Bible says that everything was created through Jesus Christ knelt down and washed the feet of some ungrateful disciples. And, and here's, here's what I want you to realize. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to do some small things. Sweep the floor, take out the trash, change a dirty diaper, hold the child of a single mom so that she can come in here and worship the king of kings in peace. This may be the only time she gets to see adults all week long. And you want to be great, you do something for the kingdom of God that's small. Because no one who's ever done great things for the kingdom of God, you have to do small things first. You don't start out at great things. You do small things, God says, there's one I can trust. There's one who has a servant's heart. There's one who's humble. And God says, I will use them to build my kingdom. People that are full of themselves, they're not building the kingdom of God. They may build a big church. They may have unbelievable budgets, but it's all for their glory. And they will stand before God one day and he will judge them for that. Jesus is calling us to the ministry of the towel. It has as much to do what he's doing in you while you serve as it is for who you serve. God is growing you up while you serve. The greatest weakness that New Life Community Church has is not that we don't know enough of the Bible. It's that we're not doing what we already know of the Bible. You've got to put into practice what you know if you want to grow. So you don't take it lightly. You don't, you don't casually date the bride of Christ. Casually dating the bride of Christ is I'll come whenever. Unless something else better comes along, then I'll come to church on a Sunday. That would be like, see, I like steaks and I like ribs. I'm a steak and potatoes guy. I could eat it every meal. Breakfast, lunch, supper, snacks in between. That would be like you come into my house. You find out that we're going to have steaks or baby back ribs. And you come to my house on those nights. 
Now, the first few times I might be gracious to you and might share. Now, my wife is, a, is you know, she's the, she's the truth avoider, so she might be gracious longer than me. But at some point, if you just show up for my steaks and my baby back ribs, there's going to be some truth inflicted upon your body. And I'm going to say, how dare you? you? You don't pay a dime to come to my house, but you want to eat the best food. You want to share in that. You don't want to clean up. You don't want to serve. You don't want to do anything, but you want to eat my food. Do you know that new life is filled with people who do that every week? Oh, we want to come and we want the music to be good. We want the message to be good, but we want, we want to sit on our butts and feed and do nothing about it. Some of you have never spent 10 minutes serving the kingdom of God at New Life Community Church. Some of you in 5, 10, 15 years have never given a dime to the kingdom of God. Now, if you're, a, if you're not a believer, this church is for you. <laughs> Just ignore this for a minute. If you're a believer who's, got, who's sat on your butt for years, Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him or her hear. Because new life is never going to be the church that God intended with a bunch of people who sit and soak. What God wants to use when he's ready to birth new Christians into the kingdom of God, he looks for the warmest, humble, most servant-minded body of believers he can find, and he puts new believers there. And as long as I have breath, I'm going to try to be that church. I'm going to try to build that church. It's why when something needs to be done, if I call one or two of you and you can't do it, I'm just going to do it. It's why I came up here one time, um, somebody, (laughs) one time a guy was going to fill in for the youth. This was years ago. He calls me at five o'clock and youth were supposed to start at six. And he goes, hey, I'm sick. What do I do? I said, dude, you're talking to the wrong guy. I said, you remember just a few months ago, I thought I was going to puke and I brought the the bucket up on stage and I told everybody, hey, I may hurl, but I'm preaching today. I said, take you a bucket. Maybe the most memorable sermon, memorable sermon they ever get. Take a bucket. I don't know how to get the point across any stronger that it takes us all. And you have a place of service and, and if you want to argue scripture with me, bring them to me. Let's go. I'll debate with you as long as you want to debate. The Bible says the most mature people are the most humble, the most serving, the most loving, the most grace-filled, who will also tell you the truth. Let's bow your heads for a moment. Some of you need to pray a dangerous prayer today. And in fact, it's the most dangerous prayer I know of. If you're a believer, you pray this prayer. If you want to be used by God, you say, God, use me. And if you mean it, he's going to open up unbelievable opportunities of service for you. If you don't mean it, he knows that. Because he can see your heart. Some of you need to pray, God, use me, show me my gift, and I'll serve you. Help me quit serving myself. Some of you, it's it's time to, to step up and do your part.
Some of you need to say to God, I'm ready. Father, would you change the hearts of your people to want to be radically obedient to you, to have broken hearts, to be broken over their own sin, to be broken over the sins of others, and who would be willing to serve until you come again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take your registration cards and, and fill those out? On the back, some of you, some of you need to say, I'm ready to serve. And, and here's the thing. If you're ready to serve, come, come find me, come find Janie, come find Jeff or Teresa. There's all kinds of places you can serve. But then when you sign up to serve, <laughs> be sure you're there. Don't, don't take it lightly when you sign up to serve. Janie's in here today, but, but we always kind of joke. She says, well, I'm supposed to be in church tomorrow, and I will be if everybody shows up. And, and about 50% of the time, not everybody shows up. So we need to learn to take seriously serving in the kingdom of God. Turn on those lights so we can see over here. We're going to baptize. I need Megan and Gavin to come up here, please. We have three baskets at the back. One is our joy basket. That's where we give our offerings, take up our offerings, or you can give it nlccp.com. We have a uh, registration card basket. <laughs> we, we're just weird at New Life, so we make noises. Uh, I don't know why we say that. But anyway, if you have prayer concerns, or um, that's where we put those cards is in that basket. And then there's one called the bagel basket. My goal is to eventually get rid of the bagel basket. Because I've told you this that if we had just 100 people giving $300 a month to our regular joy basket, at the end of one year, we would have more than enough money to build, to, to concrete our parking lot and have a covered drop-off out here. If we get to the point where people take seriously giving to the kingdom of God, we'll do away with the bagel basket. Wouldn't that be cool? And wouldn't it be cool in 12 months to have a concrete parking lot? If you've ever been here when it's, when it's raining... It's a little bit muddy today, isn't it? Come on up here, Megan. Everybody say hi, Megan. Go ahead, step in. All the way up here then. I was talking to Megan this morning, and, and she's actually been visiting here on and off for about five years. And a friend invited her years ago. And, and last week she came up to me, she said, I'm ready to be baptized. She understands what this means, that, that she's publicly telling everyone that she's a follower of Jesus Christ. Megan, have you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? Because you have, John and I are going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Let me have a hand and John will take a hand. Bend your knees. Woo, awesome. Come on up here, Gavin. Everybody say hi to Gavin. This is awesome. Gavin came up to me last week and he said, man, I want to be baptized. And what we do with children is we have a book that we ask them to go through. And so I gave him a book last Sunday after church. He and his folks show up this morning before church. And I said, dude, are you finished? Yes, sir. I said, are you ready to be baptized? Yes, sir. And I talked to him about what it means to be baptized. He's got a good understanding. You're nine. Is that what you told me? Nine years old. Have you asked Jesus to forgive your sins and to lead your life? Yes, sir, I love that. Because you have, we're going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You need to hold your nose. We're going under. Hold right there. All right. 
<laughs> Anyone else? I'm always surprised when folks say, yep, I'm ready. Well, you can always write it on the back of your card. Thank you all. We're proud of y'all for standing up here and saying, I'm not ashamed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together and be dismissed. Lord God, we love you. We thank you that you loved us enough to die for us. You'd rather die than live without us. Change our hearts, change our lives so that we're a reflection of you and we can reach more and more for the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.